Hi, uh, good morning. Um, welcome everyone. Um, my name is Sherry Hills and I'm the Manager of Research at the Ontario Media Development Corporation. And it's my pleasure to welcome you to here today uh, to our first Digital Dialogue Breakfast in Sudbury. And I'm so happy to be here and thank you all for coming. Um, many thanks to our promotional partners um, who helped us get the word out, including the City of Greater Sudbury, Cultural Industries Ontario North, and the Sudbury Chamber of Commerce. I'm going to turn the podium over to Meredith Armstrong, um, Manager of Tourism and Culture from the City of Greater Sudbury, and she'd like to say a few words to start. Thanks, Thanks everyone. Uh, I just wanted to say how uh, pleased we are to see OMDC here today. Uh, we're thrilled to have you up here. Um, we've been bugging OMDC uh, and um, it is very clear to me and I'm sure to many of you um, that there are a lot of wonderful things happening up here in the north and so um, I'm thrilled to see so many people here. What a great panel we have. We've been uh, working closely with Scion to, uh, to, to help support you, and I want to put that out there. Uh, we've got a few folks uh, from our economic development team here today, and we were, um, uh, some of us are content creators, some of us are supporters as well, so wanted to say that. Also wanted to recognize that we are on the traditional lands of Atikamishing and Anishinaabek, and uh, the Robinson-Huron Treaty lands are here as well, and I'm just saying that because it is also Treaties Recognition Week, so we're trying to do that. Um, and uh, in fact, we've had all kinds of dialogues across cultures and across languages and everything. So I think today is just the start of something great. And again, thank you, Sherry, for, for coming up here and welcome everyone. Thank you, Meredith. For those of you who don't know the OMDC, we're an economic development agency of the Government of Ontario, and our mandate is to build Ontario's creative economy, which contributes over $17 billion to the provincial economy and generates nearly 215,000 jobs. The OMDC serves content creation companies in the film, TV, interactive digital media, magazine, book, and music industries. We offer a range of financing and tax credit programs, as well as services and industry initiatives, such as this networking breakfast. Our research department prepares semi-annual industry profiles and gathers published studies from the creative industry sectors that we serve, and you can find those on the collaboration tab at OMDC's website, omdc.on.ca. Um, and in June of this year, we released our new five-year strategic plan called Lead, Connect, Grow, and it lays out our vision, our mission, and our values and guide us for the next five years. We've, al <clears throat> we've also created an interactive infographic that summarizes the key points of our plan, and you can find the plan and infographic on our news and publications page at our website. Our Digital Dialogue Breakfast series brings together people from the different creative media industries to discuss topics that we think are of interest across the industries. We're hoping this morning that you'll meet some new people or reconnect with people that you haven't seen for a while and get some useful takeaways that will start new ideas percolating. This morning's topic is diversifying audiences and revenue streams through live events. We've seen some great examples recently of companies that have used their books, games, magazines, TV shows, and films as jumping off points to create novel experiences. These experiences allow content creators to get up close and personal with their audiences in non-traditional ways. Our panel today promises to share insights and some of their tips for success. We're pleased to have Tammy Frick of Cinefest and Scion here today to moderate our panel. Tammy is well known within the arts community for her role as the executive director of Cinefest Sudbury Film, International Film Festival. 
During her tenure as the festival director from 1995 to present, Cinefest Sudbury has grown into a full-service film organization, attracting significant cultural tourism, media, and industry professionals alike. In 2014, LOL Sudbury Comedy Festival was incorporated alongside Music and Film in Motion under the umbrella not-for-profit Cultural Industries Ontario North, or Scion, of which Tammy acts as the Associate Executive Director. She has served as the Board Director for several organizations, including the City of Greater Sudbury. Uh, sorry, Sudbury Development Corporation, and more recently, the Northern Ontario Regional Tourism Organization, ROTO13. Our industry panels today are Mike Deo, founder, Northern Game Challenge, Vicky Gilhula, associate publisher and editor, Sudbury Living Magazine Group, and Mark Montefiore, co-president, New Metric Media. I'll leave it to Tammy to introduce them properly in a moment. We'll leave about 15 minutes at the end for audience questions. And if you have a question, just put up your hand and we'll bring you a microphone. Um, as always, we often have more questions than we have time. So if you can keep your questions brief, that would be appreciated. And before I um, turn it over to Tammy, I just wanted to say how important it is for us to receive your feedback. We'll be emailing you a short feedback questionnaire at the conclusion of the breakfast. And if you wouldn't mind completing it, it really helps us as we plan future events. And things like coming to Sudbury come out of things like that, where we hear from people that they'd like us to get outside Toronto and, and be more, more places in Ontario. Okay, and thank you. And over to uh, our moderator, Tammy Frick. And please join me in welcoming Tammy and the panel. Good morning. Can everyone hear me okay? Yes. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, all of you. And a huge thank you to the OMDC for making the trek north. It's wonderful to welcome you here in Sudbury for this wonderful session. And uh, the topic is just so very interesting that I'm glad that you asked me to participate. I'm very honored to be here as moderator today. Having spent 22 years working in cultural development, I'm always excited to learn new things. This is the fun stuff. And I know that we'll learn a lot today. The OMDC has done an amazing job at putting an expert panel together for us. Uh, they've agreed to share all the intricate stories, so not just the big overview, uh, but really the personal experiences to, as to what live events, uh, why they were incorporated, the pros and cons, you know, the strategy behind it, what worked, what didn't, did it work quickly, did it not work quickly. Um, so I'm really anxious to hear the insight today and, and to walk away with a lot more scrolls running around in my head with all kinds of new ideas, and I hope that happens to you as well today. We have an impressive cross-section also of industries with us here represented on the panel. So please join me in welcoming our panelists and I'd like to take this moment to introduce them properly. Directly here we'll start with Mike next to me. Mike Dau is a local programmer with a dual love for Sudbury's development community and unhealthy amounts of coffee. I love the guy already. <laughs> He hails from right here in Sudbury, having graduated from Laurentian University with a bachelor's degree in computer science and specialization in game design. My new son's hero, I think, most likely. Mike now acts as the lead programmer for Advanced Works, as well as founder and organizer of the Northern Game Design Challenge. Next to Mark, next, sorry. Uh, next to Mike, we have Vicki Gilhula, a very familiar face to many of us here from Sudbury. Vicky's associate publisher and editor of Sudbury Living Magazine, has worked in journalism for, in Sudbury for three decades. Previously, she was editor of Northern Life and worked as a reporter for Northern Ontario Business. She's a graduate of the School of Journalism at Ryerson University. 
She was introduced, she has introduced writing for profit and pleasure to many novice writers and is the founding president of the Sudbury Writers Guild. She's passionate about the arts. She's a member of the Sudbury Arts Council and one of the founders of the Mayor's Celebration of the Arts event. In 2015, her one-act play, Golden Girl, which she promised to do a little bit for us after the <laughs> panel, um, about a woman prosecutor during the Porcupine Gold Rush was produced at the Sudbury Theatre Centre. So welcome, Vicky. And at the far end of the table, Mr. Mark Montefiore. Uh, he's co-president of New Metric Media. Mark was named the Hollywood Reporter's Next Generation Under 35 in 2014 and Playback's Top 10 to Watch in 2012. And I was actually one of the people that voted on the, top the Playback's Top 10 to Watch because he was even then one to watch. And he has proved that over and over and over again since then. Mark is executive producer of the Multiple Canadian Screen Award, winning Best Comedy Series for Letter Kenny, which is on Crave TV, and What Would Sal Do, which is also on Crave TV. Mark also produced the Whistler Film Festival and TIFF Film Circuit Audience Choice winning feature film, which also went over extremely well at Cinefest and won our Audience Choice Award. Uh, the film is Cass and Dylan, starring Academy Award winner Richard Dreyfus, and of course, the wonderfully talented Canadian Tatiana Maslany. So welcome, Mark. We're going to start off right away with the tough stuff. What I'd like to do is ask each of our panelists to take a quick moment and talk to us about why they felt a live event or events would complement their existing brand or product and what the overall development strategy in wanting to develop that was. So let's start with Mike. All right, so uh, I'm the uh, founder of the Northern Game Design Challenge, and just to kind of give some uh, information here, the Game Design Challenge is a 48-hour competition where teams of like programmers and artists and musicians all need to work together to make a game in a very short time span. And traditionally, this is done over the internet. Now, in the case of most live events, what you see is something that's traditionally done in the physical medium brought to the internet to allow for more interaction. What we did is the complete opposite. We took something that's usually done in a global context and kind of brought people into a physical space. And what we saw is that the social interactions and the engagement that people found interacting with each other together was something that was powerful enough to make the event a success. And now even teams that we normally would have to pay to get to Sudbury for the event are paying their way just to come to the event rather than working in their own hometown just because they like the social interaction and the engagement that they get out of it. Um, so that's kind of my two cents and my experiences so far. But uh, quick question here, just to kind of gauge the audience. Who here has heard of Twitch, twitch.tv? Okay, yeah, about roughly half of you. Those of you who have not, make sure to look into it if you're interested in live events. It's a platform for streaming gaming, but it's also probably the top in the world right now, numerically speaking, for live events in general. And there's a lot of lessons to be learned from it. Awesome. I have a quick question for you before I, we hand off to Vicky. Um, so this concept of creating the live event, was this something that just came to you as an in-house idea? Did someone come to you and say this was something you should be doing? Was it an outside expert that talked to you, or how did it come to be? So it's kind of a funny story about the Game Design Challenge. We never meant to really become anything. Um, so once upon a time, there was an event called the Great Canadian Apathon, and it was something that you could do anywhere in Canada, or even from your home if you wanted to, and basically it was the same idea, make a video game in 48 hours. Uh, unfortunately, it died out about four-ish years ago, and there's kind of a, a gap here in Sudbury with a bunch of developers who wanted to continue to do this, but didn't have a, a platform to do it. 
So a friend of mine came into my, the lab one day and he was like, hey, Mike, we should get like a bunch of people together on a weekend, make some games, just have some fun, you know? And uh, it, somehow that kind of exploded into the not-for-profit organization existing across four different cities that it is today. Hence the addiction to coffee, I think. I think there's a lot <laughs> of hours, of <laughs> late hours put in. Can I, can I ask a question on that? Yeah. Um, that sounds really interesting. I, um, uh, so did it, did it start, it started as an online event, and then that converted to an in-person event? Yeah, so because we never really made a conscious decision to say like, hey, doing it in person might be a better event. It was kind of almost an accident. It's because we just wanted to get a few people that we personally knew together and have some fun doing it. Awesome. Uh, it wasn't until it kind of naturally grew on its own accord that we started to introduce, like, okay, we're going to have proper signups online. We're going like, to make this into a real thing. And it, it almost naturally became what it is right now. Awesome. Vicki, can you please share with us? Okay. Well, as all of you know, Sudbury Living is part of the Laurentian Publishing, Laurentian Media um, Empire. And uh, we are probably the grandfather of live events, of related events um, with our publications that go back 30 years. Um, <clears throat> Northern Ontario Business launched a uh, awards program 30 years ago, or over 30 years ago now, and um, across Northern Ontario, and that was a way of promoting their newspaper, Northern Ontario Business, and also bringing people together. Uh, Cyberry Living is uh, about 10 years old, 11 years old actually, and um, at the time, you know, magazines have been challenged, certainly over the last decade, uh, with dwindling uh, readership, not really readership, but let's say dwindling eyes that are now moving to, to uh, internet. So uh, the magazine wanted to uh, build its audience, uh, increase its circulation, and increase awareness um, amongst in the city so that uh, we could uh, uh, attract more advertisers. So we started uh, live events, including a home show, which we ran for about four or five years that was very successful. And we also had a family show, which was to promote our parents' magazine. And right now, the only live event that we, we do on a regular basis is our wedding show, which uh, is happening in January. Um, We've had more success, actually, with our awards programs, which include Northern Ontario Business, 40 Under 40, um, Community Builders Awards, and the Influential Women. They tend to bring people together, uh, promote the brand, create a lot of goodwill, and also a lot of buzz. And recent 40 Under 40 uh, got a lot of social media, as all, many of you probably you either were there or know people who were there. Um, our problem with some of the live events that Sudbury Living did is that we were going to the same well and asking our advertisers to participate. And um, you have to be very careful because advertisers only have so much money to spend. And one of the problems was that if they were spending money in the magazine, that took out of their budget maybe for being at a, a trade show. So that was a challenge, and um, so that's why we haven't done them. Uh, we have all the equipment at uh, 158 Algon to do live broadcasts with Sudbury.com, and uh, we're always uh, 
continually to promote and work on that project, but there's still a heavy, you know, we're still pretty heavy print. Mark, did you want to jump in here? Yeah, um, so uh, how did it start for Letterkenny? Um, I think it, it's a really exciting time now because um, if you go to Ticketmaster or any of these live ticket places, whatever, uh, you'll see all the events that are happening now. Alternative programming, which is what everybody else is doing up here, uh, we're all doing now, um, that has become a huge business. Um, you, can, you can find for every concert um, and traditional um, show that's, uh, that's done live, you can find an alternative. Um, so Chris Hadfield tour touring around talking about what Chris Hadfield talks about. Um, uh, wedding shows, um, stand-up comedy, not, not stand-up comedy, but alternative comedy. Um, that's happening uh, more and more. And I, th I think, I th if I were to guess as to why, I think this day and age, like we're so living on our computers and living on our phones and all that kind of stuff, that that personal connection isn't as prevalent anymore. And so any opportunity people can get out of their houses and go and see something they love, and an author reading passage from the new book or whatever it is, um, is uh, it's really opening up the opportunities out there. And because of that, we can now leverage our brands that we have to open it up to more eyeballs and more, um, um, more people. So even if it's a secondary, secondary revenue source. Um, so for us, how it's happened, it's uh, like Michael, it's, uh, um, it's, uh, it's uh, happened incredibly organically. Um, so for us, it didn't start, that wasn't the original plan. Um, we knew that when we had Letterkenny from the very beginning that it was a brand um, that was going to be anchored by a TV show versus looking at it as purely as a TV show. Um, we, we felt that it could reach audiences far and wide um, and with the right attention to it, we could open that up um, in all sorts of different areas. Uh, now we have Pupper's Beer, a partnership with Stack Brewery um, here in Sudbury and that's been doing really well. So there's all sorts of different extensions. So the live tour, actually, how that came about was um, we started, after the success of the first season, we were getting a lot of requests to have some of the cast show up to uh, bars and nightclubs or hockey games to drop a puck or whatever it was. And, uh, and it was pretty cool. And, uh, and, you know, the cast was going out there. They were offering some good money, um, and that was fun. Um, so we started to say, like, you know, is there an opportunity we can actually do something creative with it rather than just an appearance? Can we turn into something uh, more, more authentic to our show where we can script it and we can take control of it and, and protect the brand more. Sometimes you get into these bar scenarios, you don't know what you're getting into. You get into a bar, small town bar, you know, northern Alberta that's inviting the guys out and you, you, just, you just don't know what's going to happen there, right? Um, it's going to be a fun time, but it's going to be questionable sometimes. Uh, so, uh, so actually it was this time, uh, no, wasn't it, when did it, uh, it was St. Patrick's Day weekend. Uh, we were shooting, uh, it was this year, um, we were shooting our first block of this season, a letter, Kenny, season three. And uh, we were talking with Tammy, and, uh, and we were looking at, we are just finishing the show. Um, you know, is there an opportunity to do some sort of live show that we could test to see and plant the seeds um, to see if, they're, if, they're, if this does have legs, if it has an opportunity to do something more. And Tammy uh, reached out and had, you know, the LOL uh, Comedy Festival happening at that same time. So it kind of coincided. It was St. Patrick's Day weekend. Um, we decided, let's, let's, uh, let's see what can happen. The huge promotion that Tammy was able to bring through the festival, it brought a lot of attention to Letterkenny. And we did a 75-minute show. There was no intermission. Um, 
It's uh, everybody's flying by the seat of her pants, trying to figure out what we're actually going to do creatively. Um, and uh, Jared came up with a great, great script and a great format for it. And with that, and with uh, with the support of the festival, um, I think we sold about 750 tickets in less than less than a week or something like that. It all it all sold out very fast. So with that, we were then able to um, look at this. Okay, you know what? We do have a market for this, and leveraging the data we have from our show and where our merchandise sells, we can see. Um, we can see the demographics, or more so the geographics, of where our audience is across Canada. Um, and uh, from that, you know, we're able to look at, okay, do we have an audience uh, outside a TV show to be able to try and do this? And that's when we partnered with uh, Live Nation. And Live Nation, um, they, uh, they, uh, they came out and we announced, it was, what, two Mondays ago that we announced a live show. We started with 26 cities across Canada. Uh, to happen in fall and March of 2018. And those tickets have gone so fast, we have now increased the show numbers to 40. Uh, we've added uh, 16 new shows, or 14 new shows, sorry. In, um, sorry, 42. We've added uh, 16 new shows as of today. Um, that, uh, that tickets have been selling like crazy. So there, there, is, there is an audience for it. And, uh, and that's all started from an organic place of, of uh, um, appearances to then let's do this tester show here in Sudbury and show that there's a proven market for it and then expanding from that so yeah so that's amazing we're talking about the startup and how it got there now that it's there and all three of you have experiences with events that have been around for a little while and and various components um, I'm going to ask you Vicky to start us off with this but now that it's there what's the sole purpose I mean the content is there you've developed a live event is now, has it really turned now to revenue generation? Is it audience building? What's the main focus? I think it's a continuation of, of all of those things because you need to constantly be doing that, right? You need right. to constantly reinforcing your brand and building new audiences and looking for revenue. So uh, they're continuing to do that. With, with the wedding magazine, I mean, we have a very captive audience. We have, I don't know how many numbers it is every year of young couples that come to the show, but it helps the magazine and the show work really close together. So that is a real winning, uh, a winning uh, combination partnership. Um, and I, I should just say too that um, I think that going forward partnerships with other uh, groups and media is, is important too because of the cost and also because if uh, for us, we're really just looking uh, for Sudbury or just looking for Northern Ontario. So we're in a smaller yeah. population. We don't really, it's great if Toronto knows about us. We right. are quite, <laughs> we're quite happy about that, but it's not really our audience. So. Can you give us a specific example of a partnership maybe that's taken it to the next level? <laughs> Do you have something specific? Um, <laughs> I put my thinking cap on. Um, I can't think of it now, but I know we certainly do partner with Subway Living, for example. Now, instead of having our own show, we participate in other shows. So we, right. We've had some great success being at the gardening show. Uh, okay. We have great success in sponsoring events right. um, because we provide the media and somebody else does all the work. and everything. So that, that is a successful way of doing it. Awesome. And now over to you, Mike. So now that you're off the ground, what are the next steps for your strategy and, and what does that look like for you? So currently what our big plans are for the game design challenge is we want to continue to grow physically. So this year we moved from the Sudbury game design challenge to becoming the Northern game design challenge. 
As part of that, we opened up three other venues in Sault Ste. Marie, Thunder Bay, and North Bay. Uh, and our big challenges right now actually just goes exactly back to that, it's partnerships. We're trying very hard to find the right people in these different communities to act as kind of the footholds for organization to help us engage with the developers and the, uh, the content creators of these areas. And really that's everything, especially within the not-for-profit space when human resources are at a premium. It's leveraging these connections that you have with other people around you that really makes these events happen in the first place. With any live event, you need people. And those people are, organically speaking at least, only going to come to the table if you already have a presence within their circles. So just kind of doubling down on that, um, that's really, really everything with these things. I'm going to ask you the same. Can you give us a specific example of a partnership? Uh, is it typically advertising-based, sponsorship-based? What type of partnerships are you developing, and, and uh, what does that look like? So for us, we do have our primary kind of partners in these different communities. So in Thunder Bay, it's the Thunder Bay Public Library, and they have been fantastic for offering both a venue and kind of some support personnel to make the event happen. But beyond that, the local innovation centers are always fantastic especially as points of contact for different, uh, well, different contacts and, and people within the region. Um, and also just the, the individual developers of these places, uh, companies like the Near North Mobile Media Lab, who have a vested interest in what it is that you're trying to do. And having that kind of similarities makes it a really nice fit and much easier to work with when you're trying to accomplish goals together. Awesome. And Mark, you talked a lot about how the live show came together, but what, what were those significant partnerships to maybe walk us through a little bit of that? Because I know there's some sponsorship stuff along sure. the way that's been attached. And I mean, you've got this super fan base that's been created. Um, so how have you leveraged that and developed those partnerships to make this a success? So uh, my experience with partnership, I, uh, I learned a lot from the mafia. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, how that came about was uh, we did a show up here that's just finished airing. It's called Bad Blood. It's on City TV. You can check it out on citytv.com. And that was based on the Montreal Mafia. And one thing is based on a particular family there. And uh, what I learned from that is, uh, is they built an empire um, all through partnership. And it was different than traditional um, organized crime and mafia, in a sense. This will make sense in a second, OK? <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just stay with me. <laughs> um, so, uh, what, what they did, uh, it was interesting because, you know, I've been reading about this for, and studying it for the past uh, few years as we're developing this project. Um, they were able to, um, uh, this one family was able to find uh, um, common ground with rival gangs. And instead of fighting with each other um, day in and day out, blood on the streets, um, everybody getting a smaller piece um, and trying to, to fight for it, um, they decided, let's just all work together. And if we all work together, we'll get a smaller piece, but the pie will be bigger. It'll be safer. Um, it'll be less, uh, uh, less police on our back kind of thing and all that. And, uh, and it worked. It worked for a long time for them. So the, the takeaway from that, <laughs> the takeaway from that is that uh, uh, part partnerships, um, even on the legal side, can work very, very well. <laughs> so, so with that, uh, we've, uh, we've really you know, taken, taken that approach as far as um, believing in partnerships. Because when you have partners that have real skin in the game, um, they're going to do everything they can to make it the best thing uh, it can possibly be. So 
One example um, is the partnership with Stack Brewery on our Puppers Beer. Um, so we bring the marketing and the promotion and the brand recognition um, through how we talk about the beer in the show, um, through how we promote it. So I'll get to that, the promotion side in a second. Um, and they do what they do best. They make great beer and they distribute great beer. Um, and they know how to do that really, really well. Uh, we don't know how to do that. I wouldn't know the first thing about how to do that. Um, and I don't really want to learn how to do it. I have enough things to, to do. So like trust the professionals who are doing that. And uh, you know, when it comes to the profits and the revenues from that, you know, it's, it's, it's a real partnership. Um, so we've all got something um, at stake for it to work there. And I think that's, that's the ultimate way um, that the true partnership can work is when people have real, um, uh, when it wins, you win together, and when it loses, you lose together as well too. So everybody's got each other's back on it. Um, so that's with the beer. Now, when it comes to Letterkenny itself as a show, we've got a partnership with Bell Media. Um, and uh, it's a little different than most television shows as far as a broadcaster coming in buying Canadian rights um, to the show and airing it in Canada, and that's it. Um, we've got a real global partnership with Bell that was just announced um, two weeks ago, the same day that we announced the ticket sales, and uh, they're partners across the board globally um, for everything, you know, whether it's the beer or it's the, we sell the format, a Letterkenny version into another country, um, or we sell the show that we've made, uh, they'll, they'll support it, promote it, and participate. So to put that into a real example, um, we have the live tour happening now that, uh, that uh, Live Nation is promoting. Um, so how we can, you know, one of the biggest challenges of any product or service, no matter what it is, is getting an audience or customer awareness for that, that, that product exists. Um, so having Bell as a partner in our show, they're able to leverage all of their media assets. Um, so we have something that most live shows um, and, uh, and indie craft beers don't have, is we've got the biggest megaphone in the country to be able to promote the hell out of it um, across radio, television, um, you know, uh, their social media reach, it's tremendous. So to be able to, um, with the way the television business works, they sell advertising, and in some cases, um, they have additional advertising um, or media time assets available in their, in their inventory. Like, oh, you know what, okay, so we don't have, we don't have a buyer for this inventory uh, next week? Okay, let's fill that in with, um, we got some Puppers commercials now. They, they're able to, that's, and then that's, you see the same thing when they're promoting their own shows. Every broadcaster works the same way, well, a similar way anyway. Um, when they promote their own shows, they use their own airtime that they could be selling to, to somebody else uh, for ad revenue, or they can use to promote their own shows, or their own products, or whatever it is. So it's, um, uh, for us, there's a huge benefit to, to uh, not only is Bell a great creative partner um, for our show, but they also bring all the media support that, um, that can um, make the show be aware all across the board, across the country. So when it comes to live tour, uh, the day we announced the tickets were on sale, we had radio spots across Canada, um, television spots across Canada saying, go buy your tickets, go, this is where you buy them from, um, this is the discount code. We had Crave TV um, email blast um, all to all their subscribers um, that, uh, to let them know tickets for Letterkenny are on sale. So that's the kind of leverage that, that we wouldn't have if there wasn't a partnership there. Because if they didn't have a vested interest in that, I mean, first and foremost, they are uh, the biggest supporter um, of, of Letterkenny um, that, uh, that, uh, because they make the show. But now that they're partners, they have an even more vested interest. 
Um, not to say they wouldn't be doing that if they weren't um, uh, an interested partner, um, but, uh, but now there's just even more incentive to do so. Um, so from, that's from a, like a third party partnership. Then there's the, we look at as the internal partnership. So uh, what we have within the Letterkenny family, uh, we have multiple brands within that. So we've got, there's, uh, there's Letterkenny, then there's the Shamrocks and the hockey brand. Uh, if you're familiar with the show, the each, each, uh, there's the Hicks and there's the hockey players and there's the Skids. Um, and then we also have Puppers brands. Um, and we've got, uh, we've got a whiskey brand. We've got all sorts of different brands that populate the world and the community of Letterkenny. So when it came to the live tour, we talked about it and uh, we made a decision that, that unless we had a major title sponsor come um, and offer us something enticing to sponsor a live tour, the live tour was going to be sponsored by Puppers, Premium Lager. Um, so now on every radio spot and every television spot um, that, and every social media ad, everything there is about uh, Letterkenny Live Tour, it's always brought to you by Puppers Premium Lager, um, which is kind of funny in some way because right now Puppers is a seasonal beer. It's not, you can't actually buy it right now. <laughs> so it's, uh, so we're it's looking- It's a teaser campaign. Yeah, it's, it's, it's entirely that. But you know, it's a multi-million dollar uh, media campaign for a beer that, uh, that it's, it's within our family. So, you know, a win for me is, is, is uh, in six months to a year's time, uh, fans of Letterkenny and fans of Puppers, they may be the same, but they may not be, um, but wondering, well, which came first? Did Puppers, you know, in a few years' time, did Puppers um, exist before Letterkenny and, uh, and, Letter and started to sponsor Letterkenny, or did, did it spin off from that? Um, so that's where those lines kind of blur, and that's, uh, that's an internal partnership. We have many other the, of those kinds of examples that we're working on um, to, to uh, keep the brand engage with our audiences um, and uh, like throughout the year in between broadcast schedules. Um, so it, first and foremost, it's a marketing play. Um, and if we can manage to um, uh, generate revenue from it and profit, that's absolutely incredible as well. I think Mark really develops partnerships by sharing his mafia stories right from the <laughs> beginning of the meetings. It's amazing how many people buy in. <laughs> Uh, Mike, I'm going to ask you, your first live event, was it profitable to your expectations? And if not, what changes are you making to get there? Okay, so first off, to be completely clear here, uh, we do operate as a not-for-profit organization, and making like dollars in the end of the day is not at all what we're about. Uh, that being said, we were extremely successful, financially speaking, in making the event happen. And a lot of that is thanks to uh, the GSDC, the NOHFC, and a lot of our private sector sponsors that really like came together to make this happen. Um, now, just talking in terms of financials, what we do see is that there is a commitment from people that attend these live events. They attend one of these live events, and now they have a connection, a presence within the, the group of people that do this, which means that in terms of growth and going from year to year, what you see is almost always just an increase. Incremental, maybe not exponential, but it, it, it's um, a very, very solid, solid point for trying to keep these things going because financially speaking, you're always going to be able to predict that these people know other people, they're going to get other people involved, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, I'm probably the least qualified person on this panel to answer this question in any way, shape, or form, and I'll gladly admit that, but... I think that live events are a very natural, organic, predictable f 
form of event. And uh, financially speaking, you can make a very solid case for that. Absolutely. And Vicki, I'm going to ask you, are there differences between the audiences that you attract for your live event versus your publishing audience? I would say no. We just want to expand it. I mean, because, as I said, we are uh, Northern Ontario-based. I mean, uh, we are always looking at getting younger audience because we know that the print uh, audience is getting older. Um, so something like a 40 under 40 event obviously gets a lot of buzz amongst a younger younger set. Uh, we had a student magazine, for example, that never really got off the ground. Um, it because Not because it wasn't a good magazine, not because it didn't have information, just readers, we just didn't have the readers. They just went right. into the print. Um, just to talk about um, making, making money, um, I, I think all of our events have, have made money. But, um, the most, but more important, even if they break even, is the exposure, the publicity, the goodwill, the networking, um, spinning off, you know, like from an awards magazine or whatever. Mm -hmm. So all of those things add to it, um, as well as giving Northern Ontario people jobs and that type of thing. So because we do we do things without a lot of government, without any government funding, we're a cultural industry, but we use our advertising sponsorships. For, for our base, yeah. Right. Awesome. And before I let you off the hook, um, I just, I'd like all of you to share a little bit. We're getting towards the, uh, the end of the session before we head to Q&A in a few minutes. But so talk to us a little bit about um, what you've learned from all these experiences. And, you know, how do you, how do you listen to your audience? How are you gathering that data to make the right strategic changes to how to move forward? And uh, what are some of the challenges and some of the things you've done well, but what are some of the things you've had to change along the way and as well? I'll let you take that one, Vicki, first. Well, I mentioned the student publication. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it took, us, it took us five or six years of doing it to realize that maybe that wasn't the best way to reach that market. Um, I, I think we're, you know, just the print media, uh, newspapers, magazines, they're um, just in a state of, of uh, revolution or evolution right now. Um, and so we're just always looking for, for uh, ways to b stay current and stay, I don't know if I answered your yeah. question. But yeah, it's always evolving. Evolving, yeah, really just constantly. Yeah, you can, yeah. can never have a day where you're, even though we've been around for a long time, right. you can't ever say you're not continuing to change. And um, I guess with being a small private Leone company, we can make changes very quickly. I think that's you know one of our corporate uh, successes is that you know we can change tomorrow. We don't have to, right. to do too much memo writing and soul searching to do that. Mark, you live in a different world. You have a lot of people that you have to cater to before making significant changes um, with so many levels. How about you share a little bit of as to what you've learned through this whole process? Yeah, I mean it's the learning experiences daily. Um, no question about it. Um, so when it comes to the live show, when we did the tester one in, in Sudbury in uh, March, um, some of the things we learned, so that was a 75-minute show. There was no intermission. Uh, like these are the more logistic, practical things that we learned uh, from actually doing a live show. So 75-minute show, no intermission. Um, you know, the, uh, the audience seemed to really love it. 
felt was a little short. Um, so now our goal is, well, how do we increase this to 90 minutes? Um, from a audience perspective and from a uh, economic perspective, having an intermission gives you all sorts of benefits, gives the, uh, the audience an opportunity to have a break, uh, go for a smoke or go have, have some a beer. Some beer. Yeah, go get a beer. <laughs> but also it's a great opportunity to be able to set up your merchandise table in the middle of the show. They're loving the show. And, you know, with, without that, people at the end of the show, they just want to get out of there. Um, so it's, uh, there's an economic opportunity there um, to have an intermission. Um, then we talked about from the creative aspect, you know, we put a lot of, because we're shooting in Sudbury, we had access to uh, our production sets and our fantastic crew here to be able to design the set, uh, make sure that set looked amazing. But now if we got to take this show across the, across the country in a tour bus, um, you know, the 15 foot long bar may not be the most uh, <laughs> um, logistically simple way to, to design the set, or even real bales of hay. We had a ton of real bales of hay on the set. Not only is it messy, um, but that carrying that, lugging that around for, uh, for five weeks can be problematic. So, so we have to figure out, well, how can we keep that set authentic and look great to what our show is, but also be practical that we can take this on the road. So there's, there's a, lot of, a lot of things we're, we're learning from it. Um, even though I have the shows announced, um, to, um, you know, the, the, I, there's, I mean, the, there's no shortage of things to be learning from this. Um, what I'm particularly stressed out about is when the show comes to Sudbury or Toronto uh, or anywhere of our close to our home bases and, uh, and friends from far and wide start calling about tickets because it's sold out <laughs> and uh, I got to figure that one out. Yeah. So that's, that's what's keeping me up at night I'll right help now. you with that one. I know, yeah. I know how to answer those questions. Okay, good. I can yeah, need advice yeah. on those. <laughs> and how about you, Mike? What have you learned? So number one thing that I've learned, I think, is that you really got to boil things down to why you're doing a live event. Uh, and it usually comes down to one thing. A live event allows people to engage and interact. If it was all about convenience, people would just sit at home and watch things remotely nine times out of ten. So bring it to the end of the day, you bring these people together and you give them opportunities to engage with each other, to engage with your material, to engage with whatever it is that you're presenting and to interact. Um, and that is the real, real power of live events. As humans, we're, we're taught in game design, at the end of the day, we all crave meaningful interaction. And if we can bring that to the audience through a live event in a better way that we can through an online event, that's when you really start seeing the power of doing these things in person. Uh, just kind of as a personal anecdote here. Uh, me and some friends used to run a, a Twitch stream where we'd just play some video games. And the thing that we kept on hearing from some of our friends and other people that watch it is, hey, this is great, but we'd really like to be able to interact somehow. So we took some time. Actually, we took far too much time. And uh, we made a little system where all of our friends and viewers could vote on what we would be drinking throughout the night as we played these video games. It was a terrible, terrible idea, but uh, we did have a lot of fun doing it, and because of that, uh, people felt engaged, and like you could really see through the chat back and forth that people were connected to what we were doing, and that made all the difference in the world. Awesome. Well, before we head to Q&A, um, just to give you a moment, because I know there'll be lots of questions, how about just a huge round of applause first for our panelists. And who will be the first brave one? 
Oh, seriously. There we go. <laughs> Mr. Sean. Um, we've talked about uh, live events that are fairly large, I think, and, you know, and probably involve a lot of logistics, whether it's a live tour or a big, you know, these the sort of live trade show type events, whatever. Um, I think one of the, the things that we haven't talked about is what about leveraging, uh, you know, social media and that kind of thing? Now, we've got things like Facebook Live. Um, you've got YouTube where you can't actually broadcast live that I'm aware of, but where you could probably, you know, uh, leverage a live event and, and you know, post it there. Um, do you have any plans to try anything like that? Have you given that? Uh, have you given that any thought in terms of you know not maybe lowering your costs and being able to do that because for for smaller uh, smaller businesses or independent artists you know that might be a, an easier way to get your yourself out there live than you know for example uh, you know standing on the street corner basically busking if you're a musician you can't just do that what, what do you have any plans or or what do you what do you think about the, the possibilities that exist there because this is a digital dialogue so. Why don't we throw it to Mike, Mike first? Yeah, sure thing. So first thing I could say is the Northern Game Design Challenge currently has big plans to incorporate um, social media, Twitch, and YouTube integration into our next event. And we're doing that so that we can bring these disjoint physical locations together in some way so that our competitors who are sitting in Sudbury or Sault Ste. Marie or North Bay can stop, take a look at something, and see exactly what everybody else is doing in these other venues. Uh, one of the primary challenges that we face here in Northern Ontario is the geographical distances that separate us as people. And as social media grows and as we develop these new ways to interact with each other in a remote way, I think that what we're going to start seeing is that this is going to become more and more important for us to really know and understand, uh, especially if we want to start acting as a collective group of people in Northern Ontario and not a bunch of disjoint communities. I'll let you too. Uh, it's interesting because Letterkenny started as a digital series um, and since then um, it started as five YouTube videos that was purely content. It, was, it wasn't advertising, it wasn't anything, it was purely content. So five two-minute videos that did really, really well. And from that then it then, uh, evolved into the TV show. So as far as our social media, um, I wouldn't say we do a lot of social media. Uh, in fact, we, we have just hired a company just to manage the social media now, so that is going to be taking a life of its own again, um, and we're in the process of figuring out what works, what doesn't work, because um, we, we, uh, we have a successful social media presence, um, but it's not, I wouldn't say it's, uh, it's, uh, it's not frequent. Um, as far as our contribution to it. The fans have been talking about it on social media like constantly on a daily basis, um, but our tweets and our uh, posts are, um, um, it's not in the way that it was in the past as far as re releasing uh, videos. Now we do release videos, they're, they're more trailers or more promos or that kind of thing to tune into the show. Um, so that is something we're, we're, uh, we're looking at to, to <coughs> identify what is the best approach. Because right now it's, um, it's, it's been working. Is it working to its maximum uh, potential? We don't know, we gotta figure that out. Uh, so that is something we need to identify. As far as the live shows, doing anything of that um, through social media, I mean, aside from promote, promoting it, uh, um, maybe showing some excerpts 
somehow. <coughs> but uh, I mean, the whole point is to get out of, get off your computer, get off your phone, and come and check out the show and, and experience that intimate, um, in-person um, uh, show. So it's, it's trying to find a balance. To, I don't know if this is answering your question at all, um, but, uh, <laughs> but it's trying to find a balance of what, what is what social media's role and responsibility uh, when it comes to the TV show, when it comes to the live tour, when it comes to anything else. So because it, it plays a different role for each one of those. And I would just say that uh, print media. I think of myself as a print media person. Um, certainly, over the last twenty years, we have just become like Sudbury.com is like a television. 24-hour, no, it's not quite 24-hour, but it certainly is 12 hours and uh, 24, you know, seven days a week. Of, uh, they can go live from their newsroom. They can, they go out and they do live, sh live stuff as well. So that, you know, that's part of the, it's a revolution um, within, you know, 10 years from going sort of from writing a story and then seeing it in print a week later or five days later or whatever uh, to seeing it like right like that and so they've all you know they've all sort of undergone this seismic shift awesome Thanks. next question uh hi there uh my name is adric clough uh kind of beginning a new life as a producer here in Sudbury, born and raised. Uh, just had a question about partnerships and collaboration. Um, to what degree have you guys either uh, discovered a success with or considered collaboration with uh, theatrical entities? Since we are talking about live events, this is the world and the milieu that, that the theatrical community lives in. And I, I know more or less for a fact that the theatrical communities, especially in, in towns like this, are kind of struggling uh, in, in lieu of the accomplishments that have occurred in the digital space and, and in film and television. So I was just wondering if there's a, a synthesis of, of intent and execution there. I think that's as confusing as I could have phrased that. <laughs> um, but yes, I was just wondering if that's a consideration moving forward. Are you, are you talking about like local theater? Like uh, collaboration with theatrical entities in, in the local space uh, to launch these live events or to get support with these live events because they're already connected to uh, the communities. But at the same time, trying to integrate uh, the digital into that world is very difficult because theater is kind of phobic of the future. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I think I can put in here for a little bit. Uh, I'm marginally well-connected with a few different circles here in Sudbury, and even to that small extent, the big thing that I see here in town is that these are very disjoint circles, and that's one of the big problems that we have in Sudbury, and from what I'm gathering in a lot of other Northern Ontario communities as well. Um, more work definitely needs to be done to bring these different groups together so that we can do things exactly like what you're saying, to bring uh, digital developers and people who are in the know about how to do these things together with theatrical communities that have the talent and the production capabilities to make it happen. Uh, and as soon as we can bring these people together and become more interconnected as a community, I think is when we'll really start to see these sorts of events take on a life of their own. Did you have something to comment on, Mark, with that? Or? No. Um, no, I think yeah. Mike said it best. Okay. Awesome. 
Next question? Yes. Oh. <laughs> it's coming. Yeah, thank you. Well, we do live in interesting times, challenging times, and Vicky's talked about the, I guess the, I don't say decline, but the changes in publishing and print media, and that we all know the effects of the internet, YouTube, Netflix, etc. We know here in Sudbury, uh, you know, 40% decline in audiences for the theater center. We know our symphony is down from 800 plus subscriptions to less than 400. So these are these are events that, are, and these are activities. These are venues that have been over a long period of time have been very successful. They've grown. They've developed audiences. And what you seem to be saying today is that we're looking at more niche markets. We're looking at activities like a TV show that's been developed, that's developed an audience that uh, you can go out in the community and you can create an audience for, not only on the internet, but also audiences, bums and seats, as it were. So how do you see this evolving on into the future? Now, there's some comment there about sort of the synergies that can be developed, the partnerships with the established uh, entertainment enterprises that have been so much a part of our community over the years, but which we see now is changing and being threatened both financially and uh, culturally as well too, because you know some of these things that have been developed over the years have so much uh, enriched our community. Uh, you know, not the TV shows don't do that as well too. But uh, we have the demographics changing, we have uh, changes in disposable income, we can see uh, families that are being affected with, uh, you know, you're, you have your, your kids and you're looking after your parents at the same time. So, uh, so much has changed and, and we can see this happening uh, right before our eyes, but what you seem to be talking about today is how to do something yourselves that can create audiences outside of the traditional area. And I'm not sure about, uh, Tammy, I'm not sure about what's going to happen uh, in, in the future to Cinefest, if it's going to have, uh, you know, possibly being affected negatively by digital, by people going to their documentaries and their feature films on Netflix, if that's going to affect it at all. But still, people do want to get together, they do want to have that personal interconnection mm -hmm. But I guess the, the challenge is, and I guess my question is after this little semi-rant here, is uh, how do you actually reach out, uh, how, how do you go to your audiences that you feel want to participate in an inti a more intimate setting than sitting in front of their, uh, their TV? Uh, uh, how do you actually accomplish that in an area that we have an environment that, that is so fractured you know, mm -hmm. there's so much out there, and now how do you reach them economically? Do you, do you narrow cast or do you broadcast, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Right. Well, I'm just going to jump in for one quick second before I turn it over to the panel, but I think that's what a lot of these discussions are all about. There's content creators in this room um, who have amazing minds and new strategies in mind, and I think that needs to be collectively something that, that we look forward to embracing. The world is changing. It's changed drastically in the last 10 years. Um, so we all struggle with that, but also there's opportunity in that as well. 
um, whether it be small live events attached to larger presentations. I'll just give a very quick specific example. Um, a couple of years ago, we had a film that the spotlighted an actor, um, Joel Thomas Hines, who's also an author, a musician, uh, very, very well respected in various you know, cross-cultural sectors. And uh, he performed just a very small uh, performance for us at a very small venue for about 30, 40 people. Uh, he recorded it. It was on YouTube. Uh, it's done extremely well for him just as a little promotional piece. But that provided us an opportunity to extend contact with him, show off his talent more than just his acting in the film, and created one of those live experiences for audiences that wanted to take the experience beyond just a film screening. So there's a lot of those little wonderful things that happen organically. Sometimes they're pre-planned for really no reason but to appeal to an audience and to connect with your audience as best you can. So it, it definitely is evolving and I think we just need to be continuously creative in how we approach it and, uh, and not fight the future but work alongside it and, and figure out what's coming next. Um, one of you wanna throw anything in there? Uh, I'll jump in there. Um, I think, uh, like when I got into the business, it was all about uh, be broad, as broad as you can and uh, try and appeal to everyone and everything and anything. And I think with that, um, we got into, like take for a perfect example, um, uh, sitcoms. Sitcoms, uh, especially coming out of Canada for a very long time, were trying to be everything and anything to everyone. So it would take place, it wouldn't take place in a specific city. Um, it wouldn't, uh, um, it, would be, it would be anywhere in North America kind of thing. It wasn't Toronto, it wasn't New York, it was just anywhere. Um, they ever talked about where specifically it was. And with that, the jokes came along with that, and the storylines came broad like that. Um, so there was a long time, there was a, a reticence to be able to root anything in, in any sort of nicheness. And now I think, because everything's so fragmented, um, there's a huge opportunity to be able to be niche. Uh, you're almost forced to be niche in a way. Like if you look at big box stores, and like, this is going to get all like weirdly uh, broad speaking, um, but uh, you know, even the big box stores are are getting like there's more mom and pop shops happening. Uh, I'm not so sure about in uh, in um, uh, well in the restaurant scene too. Actually, it's like there's more and more of these specialized um, uh, businesses that are happening. Um, and I think it's going back to being niche. Letterkenny is an example of that. It's so niche that it becomes broad again. Um, and it's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing a trend that it's uh, these projects that are uh, broad in their nicheness. They, they end up getting so niched past a certain threshold that it becomes broad again and it becomes relatable everywhere. Um, so I think there's huge opportunity in that. And if you can get past the, the, the fear of trying to uh, be everything to everyone, then I think you will end up being a lot of things to everyone just by being yourself kind of thing. Any other comments? Yeah, I, I think Mark basically covered everything I could think of right there. But um, this might just be purely anecdotal. Uh, one thing that I am seeing among my group of friends and among a lot of circles is kind of a return to the old as well. Um, so once upon a time, you know, I'm young, and I'd be the first person to say, hey, video games, they're fantastic, they're the future, everything we do, gamification, yeah, but no. Um, people 
are, that have grown up in my generation playing video games, being attached to these screen times for large periods of times, and finding themselves in isolated situations. Play, having played these games for so long, they find themselves wrapped up in what they are doing. And you see this through the online communities. Everybody is playing individually. They're toxic. They're, the guise of anonymity on the internet is powerful enough to make people basically assholes to each other. Um, and people are a little fed up. Maybe they don't consciously recognize this. But what I'm seeing is stuff like a return to uh, social games like Dungeons & Dragons. Um, people coming out in droves to play these kind of tabletop games with their friends. Um, I know Dungeons & Dragons currently, right now, is more popular than it was at its height in the 80s, which is really saying something. So I think that there is definitely a return to people willing to go a little bit out of their way in terms of convenience in order to gauge and interact meaningfully. And I'm hoping, at the very least, that it's something that we see more of going further. If I could add just very briefly, because I know you, I saw the sign. Uh, one of these days I'm going to write a column about how it is possible to survive and never leave your house. Um, <laughs> you can do banking, buy groceries, watch television, you can do everything. You never have to leave. That's not a world I want to live in, and I think now we are coming to the point where that's where no one wants to live, most people. And so, John, to your point, it will happen that people will start uh, coming out because it, we're social beings. We're not meant to be, uh, you know, television was bad enough for my generation. And uh, now there's really some concerns about, you know, the, uh, what, I don't know what comes after millenniums who, who are, uh, 15, 16 years old, and they've never been on a date. They've never gone out of their bedroom. Little, you know, they go to school, and then they spend their whole social life is in their bedroom with their phone or their whatever. So I think we will see. Going to our theme of live events is that people will just say, "Hey, you know, we we really need to get out there." Yeah, I concur. That's a great way to end this Q and A. <laughs> that was wonderful comments. Oh, do we have time? Sure. Uh, this question is for uh, for Mark. I just want to sort of commend you on the amount of risk that you've taken. I think that in your in your career, I think that you know taking a, a YouTube based uh, you know comedy and, and bringing it to the screen, there's the significant challenge challenges, um, and, and then also with sort of what you've done with Bad Blood and, and sort of profiling a, a still active family. Uh, sort of a two part question. Um, did you cast uh, Anthony LaPaglia as Vito because he was supposed to play Anthony Soprano originally? Um, and then the second part question is sort of if you can share some of the, the challenges or uh, navigating that, that, that space, that sensitive space with, with the mafia. Oh, well, yeah, that's... Uh... And you thought you were getting off easy today, didn't you? <laughs> Jeez, we're so close. So close. Um, so the first question, no, uh, we cast uh, Anthony because he was best for the role, uh, first and foremost. Um, and... Uh, and then the second question, I guess, you know, anytime you're dealing with any, anything um, or anyone, a story that's, uh, um, that's real, um, it's a real family or a real person or whoever it is, there's a certain level of responsibility um, that you need to take. Uh, I mean, you don't always have to factor in personal safety or that kind of stuff into making a project. Um, but there's always a concern, you know, you want to, you want to treat, um, the story and the people involved with, with respect and dignity and, and, uh, you know, and try and remain 
accurate where you can. Um, we took the route of being inspired by rather than based on. Um, and while that may sound like semantics, um, there's actually a very legal um, differentiation between an inspired by story and a based on story. Um, so we went the inspired by route um, that allowed us uh, certain creative flexibilities um, and liberties with that to be able to tell the story because there's a lot of the story that we just don't know. Um, you know, it's not like it's military or in the medical field where, where everything's documented, um, that you can get records of stuff. No, it's just like there's just a lot of stuff you just don't know. Um, so we, uh, we decided to go the inspired by route. Uh, but even with that, you know, it's, um, we're dealing with, with um, uh, living family members, in some, some cases living people, um, most of which have, have uh, uh, passed away. Um, or killed or whatnot. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's, it's important to be responsible with it, for sure. No question about it. And that comes to, you know, certain characters uh, originally scripted, they, 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 uh, they may have done some drugs. And it's like, well, you know what? We, we, have, no, we have no record of that, that this person does any drugs. So let's, let's not portray that, because that could be a big offense into, to a family member that this person does drugs, you know? Um, so, uh, so everything, every line of dialogue, every scene was, you know, handled uh, as carefully as possible um, to, to minimize risk with that. <coughs> so there's legal risk and there's also uh, political <coughs> risk that comes with that. So. Well, that, ladies and gentlemen, is officially a wrap. Please join me in thanking our panelists once again. Mike Dowu, Vicky Gilhula, Mark Montfiore, thank you so much. Thanks to Tammy, too. <laughs> I'd also like to thank the Ontario Media Development Corporation, Sherry and Ariane and Kevin. Thank you for hosting this today. This is wonderful. And to all of you, have an amazing day and enjoy the snow that's on its way. Oh, dear. <laughs>